Revelation. Whoa. Yeah, I'm back. You can probably turn it down just a touch. Loud mouth is back. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, please. We will finish our sermon series on the seven churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at the church at Laodicea this morning. Revelation 3, let's start reading verse 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew the air vomit thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in uh, to him, come in to him, and will sup with him or fellowship with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, this morning I pray we'd not be distracted. I pray we'd be here to study your word, be here to hear what you have to say to us. Father, the most important thing right now is listening with the ears of our hearts and seeing with the eyes of our heart what it is you would tell us and you would show us. I pray that we with great anticipation, that Father, we would be eager, we would be excited to hear from you this morning. Speak to us and we'll listen. In Christ's name, amen. Now again, this morning we're going to be closing our sermon series in, uh, on the seven churches, not the book of the Revelation. We'll still be in uh, Revelation on Sunday nights for the next 10 or 12, 20 weeks. I don't know how long for sure, uh, but we'll still be studying Revelation on Sunday night. But this morning, we're going to close the sermon series on the seven churches. Now some of these churches that we've been studying, they've been glad churches. Some of them had been, had been bad churches. But this church at Laodicea is a sad church. And the reason it's a sad church, because all the other six churches, Jesus found at least one good thing to say about them. But this church at Laodicea, even Jesus couldn't find one good thing to say about this church. And what's even sadder is that this church describes, folks, about 95% of all churches in our day and age today, churches in a lukewarm state, churches that are that suffer from spiritual apathy. Let me share with you some statistics. <clears throat> this came out about four years ago, but it still holds true. 10% of all church members can't be found. 20% never pray. 30% never attend church. 40% never give to any cause. 50% never come to Sunday school. 60% never go to church on Sunday night. 70% of church members never give to missions. 80% never come on Wednesday nights, and more than 90% of church members in America have never led one person to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, folks, listen to me. Those are the kind of statistics that break God's heart, that make God sick, but they're simply the outward reflections of a lukewarm church. Laodicea was a church that was blind, though it thought he could see. It was a church that was poor, though they thought they was rich. It was a church that they thought they were clothed, though they were naked. It was guilty of the one sin that makes God sick to his stomach, the sin of lukewarmness, the sin of spiritual apathy, the sin of just sitting on the spiritual fence. Now, what makes this even more serious is when you see who it is that's giving such condemning words to this church. I want you to look at verse 14. Notice how Jesus is described. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen. The first way that Jesus is described, he's called the Amen. Now, folks, let me tell you what that means. That means that Jesus Christ is the confirming Christ. These things, saith the Amen. Jesus is the Amen of God. Now, the word Amen literally means a a confirmation. It's a word that means that's the way it is. It's a word that's used to affirm and to confirm the truth of what's being said. So, when I'm preaching and somebody says, Amen, you may not realize this, but if you say, Amen, you're agreeing with me and you're confirming what I've just said. Now, Jesus is the confirmation and the affirmation of all the promises of God. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen, to the glory of God, through us. That is that Jesus is God's confirmation. Let me explain this, folks. He will keep all the promises that you find in the Word of God. Jesus is not two-faced. He's not double-tongued, okay? He is living proof that God does what He says, and God says what He does. He is the confirming Christ. But number two, He's also the consistent Christ. Notice verse 14, the second description. He's the faithful and true witness. Now, it says Jesus is the faithful witness. That means he's not going to dilute the truth. That means, folks, he'll not water it down. He's going to tell it just like it is. But also, it says he is the true, not just faithful witness, but the true witness. That means he's not going to distort the truth. He'll not shade the truth. He'll not tell a half-truth. He will tell all the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Why? Because he's God. Now, you can never accuse Jesus of spiritual perjury. He will always say those things that are right and that are true. Jesus is not fickle, folks. He never has, never will need to modify or retract any statement that he has ever made. Do you realize that? Now, you and I at times say things we wish we hadn't said. Anybody else ever done that? On a daily basis, huh? We say things we wish we'd never said. Jesus never has that problem. Anything he says, it's faithful. It's true. He doesn't have to change his mind. And he does not change with the wind. Let me tell you something about Jesus Christ. Friend, he does not go with popular opinion. He doesn't go with the trends of the day. When he gives something, says something, it's not an opinion, folks. It's permanent truth. He's the confirming Christ. He is the consistent Christ. But also, look at the last sentence of verse 14. He's the controlling Christ. says, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now understand, that does not mean that he was the first created being because Jesus was not a created being. Remember first, remember John 1.1? 1, 1? Speaking of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
what we're told here is that Jesus is the creator of everything. And therefore, if he's the creator of everything, then he's also the controller of everything. So everything in this universe is under the direct control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know this verse. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now let me explain exactly what that means. That means not a blade of grass grows in a field without his say-so. That means not a speck of dust is moved on this planet without his permission. He's the confirming, the consistent, the controlling Christ. And he's the one, folks, who has evaluated the church at Laodicea and found it to be lukewarm and it made him sick at his stomach. That's how serious this is. Now, in this passage, we see four things. There are two things about the church and we see two things about the Lord. Now, let's start with the church. The first thing I want you to notice is the church at Laodicea, a lukewarm church, it was desperate in its condition. Now, this church at Laodicea was in worse condition than any of the other six. Again, why? Because it was lukewarm. Look at verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. They were lukewarm, folks. It was a church that was neither hot or cold. It was lukewarm. They were a little, uh, a little too cold to be hot and a little too hot to be cold. They were a little too bad to be good, good to be bad. They were little folks too... Uh, uh, too cold to boil and a little too hot to freeze. Now, I know some people like this. I don't. There are people who would drink milk and tea either cold or hot. Tea would be drinking cold. Coffee would be drinking hot, but drunk hot. But it's whatever y'all want to do. But there are people that will drink hot tea. And there are those that like hot milk, you know, before they go to bed at night. No thanks. Uh but here's the thing about it. If you will let tea or milk sit out on the counter and become room temperature, you realize it becomes automatic. It can cause you to things to go into reverse when you drink it and cause you to regurgitate because it has a terrible, insipid, vapid taste to it. Well, listen, that's what Jesus is speaking about. That's how this church at Laodicea made him feel. This church at Laodicea, they were like a bottle of lukewarm water. It was nauseating. They weren't fighting Jesus, but they weren't following Jesus either. It was just kind of like they were straddling the spiritual fence. It was a church that was lukewarm. They were lukewarm about their service. Now, I can just imagine the church there at Laodicea, the Sunday school teachers. They studied their lessons for 30 minutes on Sunday, on Saturday night, and then they stayed up half the night Saturday night. They staggered into the Sunday school class 15 minutes late on Sunday morning, and they opened their Bible, and they rambled for 30 minutes, and they did it with a yawn on their face and bags under their eyes because they stayed up two nights too late the night before. Now, I'm sure the church at Laodicea, they was lucky to have Sunday school teachers to begin with because people, they, they had more important things to do than to study the Bible to teach God's Word. And here's another thing about a lukewarm church. Their teachers, they, they had no idea in their Sunday school class, who was saved and who was not. And here's what's worse. They didn't care. They thought they were doing the church a favor, you know, by being a Sunday school teacher. Like I say, by showing up, opening their Bible, and rambling for 30 minutes. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm. They were lukewarm in their service. Everybody 
would come to church on Sunday night if we was having a fellowship or an ice cream social. But on Wednesday night, Bible study, everybody had other things they had to do. They were lukewarm about their service. I'm going to tell you, I believe they were lukewarm when it comes to Scripture. There was no real hunger to study the Word of God. They didn't enjoy the preaching. They just endured it. You say, yeah, kind of like some of us are doing this morning. God bless you. Get more on that in just a minute. I'm back, okay? Now, you, you, you've had good preaching the three weeks I was gone, but I'm the pastor. So I'm back. So let me pull no punches this morning, okay? I love you, so I want you to listen to me. And besides, I'm talking about Laodicea. You said, no, it's referencing our church. You know what? Let me just say this, and I'll go on. When you throw a rock and pack of dogs and the dog is yelped, yelped, that's the one got hit, right? Keep that in mind. I believe they're a, a lukewarm church. They're lukewarm when it comes to Scripture. Again, they don't enjoy preaching. They just endure it. Now, I wonder, folks, I wonder, and I'm going to get personal right here. I wonder what your relationship is to the Word of God, Christian. Because if the Word of God is a lamp under our feet and a light under our path, which I believe it is because God's Word teaches that. If the Word of God is a lamp under our feet and a light under our path, then the sad truth is some of you folks have lived in spiritual darkness all week long because you have not opened and lit the lamp and turned the light on. You following me? Two things God has joined and no man can part. Dust on the Bible means you're going to have drought in your heart. Then they were lukewarm about the sacrifice. I mean, I bet the church at Laodicea, they would sing sweet hour of prayer, but nobody would be willing to give a couple hours to get on their knees and pray. I'm sure they, were, uh, they would sing like, uh, you know, a song like, Oh, how I love Jesus. But when the offering plate passed, they didn't love Jesus enough to put ten cents out of every dollar in that plate. They were lukewarm about their sacrifice, and they were also a lukewarm church going to be lukewarm about their soul winning. Now, it was not, folks, that they were against people being saved. No, no. As a matter of fact, it was okay with them if people get saved, but they just weren't excited about it one way or another. I'm sure they weren't concerned about their neighbors who were lost and on their way to hell. I'm sure they really didn't care about people walking the aisle or if the baptismal waters were ever stirred. As a matter of fact, let me give you a good clue about a lukewarm church. How do you pick up on a lukewarm church? A lukewarm church, if they had the choice of getting out right straight up and down 12 noon or seeing people at the altar getting saved, they want out of service at noon. That's a sign of a lukewarm church. I want you to see what Jesus says about this lukewarm business. Again, verse 15, he says, I wish you were either cold or hot. Now, granted, folks, I think we'd all understand that our Lord, his first wish is that his church would be blazing hot and on fire. But he says, if you're not boiling, if you're not on fire, then my wish is that you're cold. Now, why is that? Simple. If you're cold, you realize your need for the heat, and it will drive you to the fire. If you're lukewarm, you're insulated from your true need of the heat. And you continue to stay just outside the fire enough that eventually you're going to freeze to death. What Jesus is saying is, I would prefer that you hate me or give me your heart, but don't do one or the other. You know why I believe, folks, Jesus hates lukewarmness? Let me just drive this point home. First of all, I believe it's lukewarm Christians that keep lost people from coming to Jesus. 
I, I, firm, I firmly believe that one lukewarm Christian does more damage for the cause of Christ than all the whiskey peddlers, all the casinos, all the, the pot houses, everything else that you can think of that we all think is bad. One lukewarm Christian does more damage for the cause of Christ in LaFleur County than all that stuff. Let me read you something Dr. Vance Havner, the old mountain preacher, said one time. The man of this world is not laughing at us Christians who get happy over getting saved. Half so much as he's disgusted with us big church folks who are showing no evidence of a dynamic, transforming experience that makes us love what we once hated and hate what we once loved. Secondly, lukewarmness is an insult to God. I believe that with all my heart. G. Campbell Morgan great preacher of yesteryear, said lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. He said someone defined lukewarmness as a yawn in the face of God. It's saying to God, God, I believe in you, but you just don't excite me. Do you know, folks, it's better, it would be better for you not to believe in God at all than to believe in God and not be excited about it. Billy Sunday said this, God has more respect for an infidel than he has for a lukewarm church member, and I believe he is right. If, friends, if God is who he says he is, and if God is who we say we believe he is, then he's worth knowing, he's worth loving, he's worth adoring, he's worth praising, he's worth preaching and worth sharing with all the unction and the function that we have in our soul. Do you agree? It was a lukewarm church, but it was also a lordless church. I want you to look at verse 20. Everybody knows this verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup for fellowship with him and he with me. That is Jesus is on the outside of the church looking in. You say, I know that. Well, let it sink in a minute. The church is to be the body of Christ, the light of Christ. And if he's on the outside of a church knocking to get in, that church is in desperate, dire problems. You see, Jesus can go to a hot church, a church that's on fire for him, he's going to feel right at home. Or he can go to a cold church, one that's dead. I mean, dead. And he'd be all right. You say, why? Because he has the power of resurrection. He could give life back to the dead. But even Jesus can't stand to go into a lukewarm church because it makes him sick. The church at Laodicea was desperate in its condition. But the second thing I want you to see about the church, it was deceived by its arrogance, by its conceit. Now, what's even more amazing about this church is she didn't even realize the miserable condition she was in. It was a sick church. They thought they was well. It was a dying church. They thought they were healthy. It was a church that thought everything was all right when, no, no, everything was all wrong. First, they were deceived by its arrogance. Look at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Oh, it had been interesting, I think, to visit this church at Laodicea. I'm sure if you'd have visited this church, the chairman of the deacons would have showed you around the property. He would have showed you a beautiful worship center. I mean, extravagant, far greater than any of the other six churches that's noted here in the book of Revelation. He'd have took you around the property. He'd have showed you how much they had. And he'd have told you how much everything cost and how they were debt-free. And he would have said something like this. He said, one thing you can say about our church Whatever we want, we get it. Money, if it can buy it, we have it. We don't lack anything. But here's the problem. They had everything money could buy, but they didn't have what money cannot buy. And they didn't have the most important thing. If you had gone to worship service, you'd have seen probably, I'm sure, a beautifully robed choir. 
They just sang with voices uh, so beautiful, greater than anything this side of Ephesus. I mean, you just saw a church that was decorated to the dimes. You would have seen church folks, the rich folks of town in this church. I'm sure that they had a seminary trained preacher with a Ph.D. And I bet he could quote every theologian from, from Bolton to Bart. He could quote them all. You would have seen a choir again that was robed, a beautiful uh, auditorium. But when the worship service began, you'd have noticed something, folks. You'd have noticed that there are no fire. There was no fire in the choir. There was no power in the pulpit. And, friend, there was no intensity in the invitation. Because in the church at Laodicea or any lukewarm church, you're not going to see people walking the aisle. Nobody's being saved. Nobody's coming down to pray. Nobody's broken in their sin. Nobody's being moved by the Holy Spirit to walk closer with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the worst part is, furthermore, you would have noticed that nobody even cared that none of that was going on. The problem with this church was they decided they're going to measure their success by their wealth rather than by their worship and their witness. Let me make something real clear to you. I want to make it plain. I want you to remember this. Whether a church or individual Christian, never measure your success by what you own. You measure your success by what owns you. Stories told, and I think I've used this before, of Thomas Aquinas. He was the, the renowned 13th century friar who was a theologian and philosopher and a doctor in the early church. And one day he was visiting uh, Pope Innocent, the, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever, one, one of those popes. And uh, the pope took him to a great cathedral in Europe. Beautiful, I mean a palace of worship. And as they were going through this cathedral, the pope was showing him all the, 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 the money and all the influence that the church could buy now. And he said, Thomas, no longer does the church have silver and gold, have I none. And Thomas Aquinas, with a sad look on his face, said, yes, sir, that is true. But he said, no longer can the church with power say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. You see, the church at Laodicea, folks, was popular. It was prosperous. It was polished, and it was proud, but it was powerless, and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. Friend, listen, something real clear to you as your pastor. I don't care if a church exceeds its budget. I don't care if they build new buildings. I don't care if they call the finest staff. I don't care if they have the greatest choir. I don't care if the richest people in town go to church there. If a church is not winning people to Jesus Christ and teaching them, discipling them to have a deeper walk with Christ, and if that church is not bathing constantly in prayer, and if they're not walking with God, that church is a miserable failure, and they've lost their right and their reason to exist. The church is not a social club, a country club, or a social gathering place. It's a place of worship, and it's a launching pad out to a lost world. And if a church doesn't do that, they're failing in the ministry. Not only was this church deceived by its arrogance, but it was also deceived by its ignorance. Because look again at verse 17. You don't know that you're wretched. The thing about a lukewarm church is they don't know that they're lukewarm. This church had no idea. You know, I heard a true story about a church in Tennessee, and they, they televised their services every Sunday. It was a Baptist church. They televised their service every Sunday morning. One of the staff members told the story because it was his son that, that did this. <coughs> his little boy had spent his whole life in a nursery children's church. 
Now it was his time to come into big church. So he was excited about it. He came into big church, and he was just wide-eyed, big, you know, auditorium, all the the TV cameras, all this. And he was asking his dad questions. And, and this church, they had a, a kind of a unique way to let the preacher know the time was up for the TV. They had a board on the wall. had three lights on it. It had a green light, yellow light, and red light. When that green light come on, the preacher knew he had five minutes left. When the yellow light come on, he had two minutes left. When the red light come on, he's finished. TV's cut off. That little boy was looking at everything. He saw that board with those lights on it. He said, hey, Dad. Dad said, yeah. He said, what is that? His daddy said, well, son, he said, the, when the, the, the preacher, that board, when that green light comes on, that lets the preacher know he's got five minutes left. The boy said, oh. He said, when the yellow light comes on, the preacher got two minutes. The boy said, okay. And he said, what about the red light? He said, when the red light come on, service is done. The boy said, okay. So the service got underway. That little boy could not help but keep staring at that board. And the longer the preacher preached, the more he looked at that board. Then finally, that green light lit up, and the little boy got excited. Five minutes. Five minutes, service over with. Then that yellow light lit up. He started licking his lips because he knew he was going to the restaurant. He'd get his favorite ice cream. And then the red light lit up, and the preacher wasn't even on his final point. He just kept right on going. The little boy's face kind of fell, and he had a confused look, and he tugged on his daddy's sleeve, and Dad said, what? He said, Daddy, isn't that sad? He said, Son, what do you mean sad? He said, it's sad. He said, that preacher's done, and he don't even know it. <laughs> Folks, that's the problem with the church at Laodicea, and let's be honest. Folks, that is the problem with many so-called churches today. The church is finished as far as God's concerned, and they don't even know it. They're just going business as usual, just going through the motions. Now, I'm going to get personal right here, and I'm going to say something old. You say, you mean you haven't yet? Nope, I told you a while ago. Hang on. Listen to me. I know in a crowd this size this morning that I'm preaching to some lukewarm Christians. Now, let me be clear. You're not against God by any means. You're just not all excited about God. You, I mean, you want to go to heaven and be left alone, okay? You don't want the church bugging you about teaching Sunday school or witnessing, or giving money. You just want to come to church on Sunday mornings. You want to get your cup full and do your duty as a good Baptist and be left alone. And you think that you're doing all that you need to be doing for God. And what is so sad, now pay attention to me, is that many of you who are lukewarm, you think that I'm not preaching to you. You think, I, well, he's preaching to the one guy sitting next to me or the gal in front of me or whatever. The reason I know this, folks, the reason I know this is true is because lukewarm Christians, they don't know that they're the ones that are lukewarm. Let me give you a little test. You ready? Be honest with yourself. Here's your test. When I get through with the message this morning, if you think I was not preaching to you, rest assured I was. Okay? You see, the arrogance of the church at Laodicea was rooted in the ignorance of the church. They had no idea. They thought they were rich. They were poor. They thought they were, they were able to see they were blind. They were miserable, and they thought they were happy. I want to say this. Listen to me. Any church where you find arrogance, always remember this. You're looking in the face of ignorance where there's arrogance. I heard about a preacher who had a man in his congregation, <laughs> and he, uh, he felt like this man needed to get right with God. So for months and months, when he could put a sermon together, he had that man in his, in his mind. 
He'd pray, God, give me a word for that guy. Give me a word for him. Well, every Sunday he'd preach his heart out and, you know, stands the Preachers do shake the leaves. I shake the preacher's hand. He said, oh, preacher, you really stepped on them this morning. You stepped on their toes this morning. Well, finally, the day come, a big snowstorm hit the little town. There's only two people showed up to church that morning, the preacher and you get man. Preacher thought, this is from God. Now, I'm going to preach this message right at him. He can't help but take it to heart. And so he began to preach, and he preached one of the strongest, one of the fieriest messages he'd ever preached in all of his life. Right at that when church was over, preacher went out around back, shake hands with the man as he left. He thought, I got him now. There's no way he's going to duck this. I got him. Guy shook hands with the preacher, and he said, oh, preacher, what a tremendous message. He said, if they'd have just been here, you'd really give it to them. Listen, friend, I wonder if this message today might be for you. Could it be? I want you to notice. Now, two more things real quick. We've seen with the church the two things. The church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, they were desperate in their condition. They were deceived by their own arrogance. But now let's look at this. Let's see the Lord. Two things I want you to see. The Lord was definite in his correction. Look at verse 18. Jesus gives a threefold prescription that will cure the lukewarm condition of any church or any Christian. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying the church needs to return to the gold standard. And when I say gold standard, I'm talking about his standard. Gold in the Bible represents righteousness. And what the church at Laodicea needed, what any church in a lukewarm condition needs, they need to return to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, you won't find peace in gold or greed, but you'll find it in God. You'll find peace in me. Return to me. Look at the next thing. There's a renewal of spiritual values that he gives them. Return to the gold standard. Then there is a renewal of spiritual virtue. Verse 18. And white raiments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. In Scripture, remember white, especially the book of Revelation, white signifies purity. So the Lord Jesus is saying to this church, with all your polish, with all your possession, with all your popularity, with all your pride, you're poor and you're powerless. It was a church that was suffering and weak because of the wickedness of arrogance and the worthlessness of ignorance. And Jesus is trying to open their eyes. This church at Laodicea, they, uh, they needed to remove their rags of filthy righteousness in themselves. And they needed to humble themselves and put on the righteousness of Christ, which is the only righteousness that God will accept. And I want you to see, thirdly, Jesus says a renewal of spiritual vision. Verse 18. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. A lukewarm church is blind. It can't see lost people around them going to hell. It cannot see people who are brokenhearted and need the love of Christ. A church that's lukewarm, it can't see carnal Christians that need correction. It can't see the eternal for the temporal. It can't see the spiritual because it's all caught up in the material. So Jesus says there must be a renewal of spiritual vision. Well, how does all this come about? It's really pretty simple. And you probably already figured it out. How can a church or a Christian renew the spiritual values, the spiritual virtues, and the spiritual vision? There's only one way. Notice verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There it is. That's a very simple word. And it's simple, but it's hard for us to take. 
he says, repent. <clears throat> now notice the word zealous. Right there with the word repentance. That literally means to boil over. Now what Jesus is saying is, you need to get on fire all over again. The fire needs to be rekindled and the fellowship needs to repent. Now have you noticed, there's kind of a theme here with all these churches we've been studying. Anytime that they had a problem, part of the, part of the solution that Jesus gave every time was repentance. Repentance. Let me say this, folks. I want you to hear me. Hear me well. There is not one problem in the life of a Christian, in the life of a church, in the life of a denomination that old-fashioned repentance and brokenness and confession cannot take care of. I want you to see the last thing. Jesus was definite in his correction, but he was also deliberate in his concern. Go back to verse 20, the verse that everybody knows. Now, I've missed this for years, but do you realize Jesus changes his emphasis from just the whole church to the individual? Notice how he closes out this seventh letter. Verse 20, he says, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, let me tell you what, what is being said here, and I want you to listen real close. Lukewarmness can affect an entire church. But revival can come to one individual in that lukewarm church. As a matter of fact, true revival begins with one individual. I heard about a little old lady. <laughs> she would habitually forget to pay her electric bill, pay her heating bill. And so every once in a while, they'd have to cut her heat off. And she would call the old electric company. They'd get things lined out. One cold winter's morning, she woke up. And uh, sure enough, it was cold. She called the electric company. She said, I got a question. Am I, am I turned off or froze up? You know, that's a pretty good question, Christian. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody here today, every person, right now, ask yourself that question when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you turned off or are you froze up? There's only one temperature to be. And that's blazing hot with a flaming love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you as pastor of this church, God deliver us now and forever from the nauseating, sickening sin of lukewarmness. My prayer as pastor is, we'll always be excited about the one whom everything else pales in comparison. And that one is Jesus Christ. Now let me make this real clear, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to have invitation time. I want you to listen real good to your pastor. If you do not love Jesus more today than you did when you first met him, if you're not more on fire for Jesus today than you did when you first met him, you need to repent. You're in a lukewarm condition. You say, no, I don't like being told that. Nobody likes being told that. The truth cuts pretty deep, doesn't it? I'll say it again. If you ain't on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, one of two things is true. You're either backslidden in a lukewarm condition or you have never met him. Either way, you need to be at this altar and repent. Would you bow your heads, please? <coughs> After I pray, we'll stand and begin to sing a hymn of invitation. And I don't know what decision God's leading you to make, but I, I would encourage you to be obedient this morning. You need to give your life to Christ. Come and do it. If you are a Christian, but you've been living in a lukewarm state, 
It's time to break out of that. Man, it's time to let the joy of Jesus boil your heart and your life again. Set you on fire for Him. It all starts with repentance. Father, thank you for your grace, for your love. Thank you that you're so patient with us. I pray for those this morning that need to repent, that need to recommit their lives, or or they need to come and repent and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and establish that covenant relationship with you, that today would be the day they do that. Father, I pray for those who may be dealing with some other issue that they need to be obedient with, that they would be obedient this morning. And Father, I pray that all that's done, every decision we make, every, every, Father, beat of our heart, that your children would be done to magnify Jesus and to exalt you. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?